Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talking benefits. You're listening to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month, we dive into retirement, healthcare, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Julie Stick. I'm Ann Patterson. Let's talk benefits. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Benefits. I think that we can all agree that tracking our investments has been a little bit tumultuous over the past year. Many are wondering what they should do with their investments and what to tell worried retirement plan participants. So for this episode, we're talking about the current investment environment. We'll look at what might be in store in the future and cover some best practices at both an organizational and institutional level. I'm joined by Sandy Lincoln, Chief Executive Officer at Lincoln Investment Perspectives, LLC. Sandy is the former president of William Mercer Global Asset Consulting, former Chief Investment Officer of Kemper Corporation, overseeing $60 billion in institutional assets, former Chief Markets Strategist at the Bank of Montreal, a frequent CNBC commentator, as well as a frequent speaker at international foundation conferences. Sandy, thank you for joining us and providing us with some insights. Thank you, Justin. Good to be with you. So let's just go ahead and set the stage. Sandy, can you give us some brief history on sort of how we got here? From what I can tell, it seems like the story begins around the 2019 timeframe. I think it does. It's very difficult to pinpoint exactly when it begins, and, and certainly we're not near the end yet either, but I think 2019 is a, a pretty good place to start. So let me just sort of go back to that point in time, and I want to start with just a bit of a preamble and say that as we go through this, one of the real keys for trustees or individuals to having a successful investment program is all about having really defined investment objectives, you know, how much return are you seeking, how much risk are you willing to take to get that return? Importantly, what is your time horizon? How diversified do you need to be? How do you monitor the results? All of those things I point out now, even though they don't sound related to the topic that Justin just introduced, they're very relevant to getting through turbulent times. So if we go back to the very tail end of 2019, it produced a year for the stock market that was up just a shade over 20%. We had a pretty bouncy fourth quarter of 2019, but it still ended up for the year up 20%. Just sort of remember that. It's an unusually high return for the long-term returns of the market, but a very nice substantial return. And most investors were expecting 2020 to follow sort of a similar pattern. But as we got into 2020, I can remember very specifically at the end of January, we were making a presentation to a client. And the very last slide was a slide of what to look for in 2020. And the very last bullet point on that slide said, watch virus. That's all it said, just two words, watch virus. We had very little information about that virus, very little at that point. There were occasional news articles that came out sort of mid to end of January, even a governmental memo that was around, floating around. So the, the first month or so, you wouldn't have known much was going on. But then just walk forward a few weeks to the middle of February, and the market just absolutely savagely went down as this virus became identified with highly contagious, high fatality rate, and people were panicked, totally panicked, and people fled common stocks. In less than six weeks, 
the stock market went down almost 40%. Having 40 years of investment experience, I'd never seen anything that sharp a decline in that short a period of time. 40% and some very sophisticated, very smart investors sold most, if not all of their common stocks and basically just were totally in panic mode. And at the same time that that was going on, the economic consequence of this was in, by the end of March, the first quarter of the year, this $20 trillion economy in the United States had shrunk by over 20%, an unbelievable contraction. And you would have thought the end was very near for investments, for health and the societal and health issues that would perplex the country for years. But then, science came to the rescue. And people began to see that Moderna and Pfizer thought they could come up and develop a vaccine in a relatively short period of time. And by the time we got into April or May, they had signed up over 35,000 people to be in the test group to test the vaccines as they got developed. And suddenly everything went 180. And it was like watching a big U-turn in an intersection the stock market went from down 37 plus percent to suddenly almost making back all of those losses over the course of the next quarter and into the early summer months. And in joining Moderna and Pfizer in terms of the science of it, you had another tandem come into play that really sort of pictured how to turn this market around and how to turn the economy around. And that was the role of the Federal Reserve and the role of the Treasury Department. The Federal Reserve took a playbook from 2007, 2008. They took interest rates down to zero. They weren't bailing out auto companies and they weren't bailing out insurance companies like we did in 2007, 2008. They were just trying to get cash so cheap, so interest rates so low that people would want to borrow money and get activity going in the economic front and consumer activity in particular, because the consumers are about 70% of the US economy. So the Fed lowers, lowers interest rates all the way to zero, just an incredible move. And it made money so cheap that corporations refinanced their longer term debt that was more expensive and made their balance sheet even healthier. And so did consumers. Mm -hmm. That was gonna be insufficient, however. So now we have science coupled with the Federal Reserve, but the consumers are starting to run out of cash because they've either lost their job, they're not working. Uh, we have a very high accelerated unemployment rate. We have jobless claims that are going crazy and we need to get the consumer back with some flush cash. So the treasury, and I say comma, and in a bipartisan, how about that for unusual? Uh, <laughs> the bipartisan team of Congress comes together with the treasury and signs off on a big financial cash checks to consumers. So we all got checks. And then just to make sure that it was going to work, they did a second round of those checks. Mm -hmm. So now as we get into the summer, this condition has gone from being down 40% to actually turning positive. And we don't yet, we're not yet getting even inoculated. The vaccines have not been, have not completed trials. That doesn't happen until in the fall, but the markets continue to move higher, equities move higher and higher and higher. And we're like, by the time we get into the, towards the end of the year, the stock market is ahead of break even. And by the time we get to this end of the year on December 31st, the market logs another year of up 
20%. Now, who would have believed that we would go from 2019 up 20% to 2020 and have a year like we had in 2020 with all of the fatality and the horrible health issues that surrounded us and then have this scientific move that gets us out of that dilemma and then the Federal Reserve and the Treasury kick in and suddenly as we get to the end of 2020, we have a market that is up over 20% again, just staggering. So what about the events of 2021? What in that year uh, contributed to how we got to where we are? Yeah, this, it's a, really the reason that we went back this far in history to go back two, two plus years to get there is because all of these years are linked together by some common features. Mm-hmm. And those common features include what's going on with the Federal Reserve, what's going on with the Treasury, and the continuation of getting progress on getting the trials done and getting inoculations happening. Mm-hmm. So as we enter 2021 on the heels of two years of back-to-back returns of over 20%. We come into 2021 and everybody is pretty much working from home. It's kind of what I'll call the remote uh, economy. People are, if they want a bicycle, they're getting on their bicycle at home and riding their bike. They're not going to the gym. People aren't going to restaurants yet. We don't really start to get the inoculations going in any significant way until the mid spring of 2021 but people are beginning to feel much more confident. You've got the Zoom consequence, you have DocuSign for closing real estate deals and other kinds of transactions. So it doesn't look, if you went out into Times Square in New York, it doesn't look like a typical 2021. It looks like a really odd, sequestered, quiet sort of marketplace. But people are very busy at home and the economy is gradually coming back to normal. And the Federal Reserve, and this is really important, This is probably the key point of 2021 and maybe the key point of 2022 is the Federal Reserve says we're keeping interest rates very low. We need to get that consumer fully engaged. We need to get the inoculations further impacting the economy. We need to keep this thing going. So I would say go go keep keep it moving is what I would call 2021. Keep it moving. And the Federal Reserve is more or less obsessed with keeping interest rates low getting the consumer back and consumer confidence starts to come back, jobs start to open up, job applications start to open up, the job market actually starts to get somewhat tight in 2021, and the Federal Reserve continues to keep interest rates at a very low level. And that's how we progress steady steady state for the Federal Reserve. And a lot of the finance from the Treasury and and those cash payments are still lagging into the economy. People are still unrolling their cash from their bank accounts and gradually pumping it into the economy. So the GDP is starting to turn positive and give us positive results. And our $20 trillion economy is starting to look healthier and healthier and healthier. And the Federal Reserve sets up the table for what happens in 2022 by keeping the interest rates so low for so long. So we really have a spectacular year, but underneath all of that in 2022, there were really significant warning signs. For example, lots of initial public offerings, new common stocks that were coming to the marketplace. Companies that came to the marketplace to raise money who didn't even have a business plan. They were well-known investors and they just raised say two, three, four billion dollars because of their name but they didn't have a plan as to how they were going to invest the money. 
So there were lots of warning signs that things were getting a little, a little too crazy, a little too wacky in the stock market. But we kept kind of <laughs> looking the other way and enjoying the results. And so by the time we get to 2020, through the end of 2021, basically we log another year of 20 plus percent return. So 2021 ends up almost 22% to the positive side. So now we have 2019, 2020, and 2021 with over 20% returns in each year. And then I want you to just remember that. This is really unusual to have that happen. We've had a few decades like the 90s leading up to 2000, where we had some pretty spectacular years back to back to back, but this was really out of the ordinary. And there were warning signs that were there Yeah, you mentioned some of those underlying rumblings going on. So what are some of the forces that are driving uh, some of that turbulence that is going on in the present day in 2022? And likewise, what can be done about those things? Okay, well, that's a good question, Justin. Let me just say one of the things that I think in 2022 that really came about at the tail end of 2021, and we paid the piper for it so far in 2022, is what we call, and I'll call this the valuation phenomenon. What I mean by valuation is that when stock analysts are assessing a company and its future prospects, they project the earnings into the future. They project the sales of the company into the future, three years, five years, 10 years out. And then what they do is once they've made those projections, they have to discount that projection back to a present value. And when you have a five or 10% interest rate, you're discounting those future earnings by a pretty significant amount. But when you have 0% interest rate or a 2 or 3% interest rate, your present value isn't a lot different from the future value before you ever started the discount. Mm-hmm. And this creates in the market something called the price earnings ratio. So one of the things that investors look at, and it's not really necessarily the holy grail, but it's close, is the price to earnings ratio. And what that means is what's the price per share of a stock versus the earnings per share. So let's just take a simple example. Suppose you pay $15 a share for a company and they make a dollar of profit. Your price to earnings ratio is 15. Would take you 15 years at that level of profits to equal the stock price. And historically over a long, long multi-decade period, normally stocks trade around 15 times earnings, 16 times earnings, right around that number. Well, as we entered the end of 2021, those price earnings multiples were not 15 or 16. They were 30, 35, 40, and many companies with 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 times earnings. So in addition to all this IPO activity at the end of 2021, we had these rising valuations because the Federal Reserve was keeping interest rates so low that the discounting of future profits wasn't really much of a discount at all. And people kept paying higher and higher prices and the multiples kept getting higher and higher. So now when you turn into 19, into 2022, we see what these thunderclouds have produced. And what happened was the economy got very much misaligned between the demand and the supply side. So as we come into 2022, we have serious dislocations in supply and demand. We can't get all the computer chips we need, and yet we have this very high demand. This, for example, computer chips, there are 250 computer chips in the average car. There are 250 computer chips in the 
very sophisticated armaments that we're sending to the Ukraine. There's a huge demand, and the United States only manufactures about 10% of our own supply for computer chips. We get them from overseas at cheaper costs. That's going to change in the future, but that's the way it was. So we had to pay up to get what was available, and that was pretty much the case. So inflation starts to creep up, and it's hard to get labor. We have more job openings than we have available labor people to fill the job openings. So salaries start to go up. And then we have, in February of 22, Russia starts to build its arms and prepares to invade the Ukraine. And there are sanctions applied, which drives oil prices crazy. And so we shut down some of the gas that we've been buying from Russia to try and hurt the Russian economy. And then on top of that supply and demand issue, the Chinese get another round of COVID, which they try and handle in a very sort of unsophisticated quarantine methodology. And suddenly their economy goes from growing at a mid-single-digit growth rate to basically no growth at all. So we have all of that coming to confluence in the United States on supply and demand, and prices start to go up for literally almost everything. And the Federal Reserve, a lot of people have been very critical of the Federal Reserve in this period. The Federal Reserve was, was really sort of challenged by not acting sooner. So now they see this in January, the market starts to sell off a little bit and the market sells off some more. And suddenly these investors are beginning to recognize the price earnings multiples don't make a lot of sense. They can't be supported to be 30 times earnings. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the Federal Reserve steps up and very forcefully and verbally and by, by their actions starts to increase interest rates, which is their biggest tool to control inflation. And so they step on the brakes. They don't just tap them. They slam the brakes on and they raise interest rates, not once, not twice, three times and plan to raise interest rates more times and not by a quarter of a point or a half a point, but by three quarters of a point. Three quarters, yep. And it's working. But mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve has constantly said we're not going to stop until we get the economy back in line with a lower level of inflation. And their stated hope for is two to three percent. And we're a long way from that. We're sitting currently at seven to eight percent. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really a, it's really created an enormous upset in the first seven months or eight months of, of, of the year for the stock market and for the bond market, mm -hmm. because people don't know exactly what will happen here. There's massive uncertainty. So you can turn on CNBC and see the talking heads and they'll talk with all this certainty about, well, we're through the worst of it now and people should be accumulating more common stocks. Whenever you're in turbulent times, be wary of people that are certain about what will happen. <laughs> it's really a slippery slope, and it's very tempting when somebody's very, oh, this is the way it will be, and they pound the table and, and hope that, to make their point. But you got to be careful, and you have to, you have to look back to some of your other you know, sort of good behavior things that trustees do that can serve you well in times that get this turbulent. And I think you know, as we look forward from here, from 2022 and the rest of this year and into next, I think, I think you shouldn't expect necessarily a smooth glide path. Could we get into a recession? Yes. Are we in one technically? Maybe right now we're in one through the end of June because we've had two quarters of contracting GDP growth. Very modest. People are worried about it, but we don't yet have the labor force situation contained. We don't yet have inflation on several fronts contained. We still have uncertainty with Russia. We still have uncertainty with China and the supply chain in, in general for the U.S. So I wouldn't expect that you can breathe easy because the last couple of weeks of July or the first part of August or whatever, 
uh, have produced a, a good bounce off the off the bottom, I wouldn't think that you should be prepared for a smooth a smooth uh, rest of the year and into the early part of 2023. Yeah, my. My next question is sort of what, what might be ahead, uh, but I think you just addressed it. And with that, we'll take a quick break. Look to the foundation for resources that'll help you better understand and communicate your retirement and pension plans. From an e-learning course on fundamentals and retirement plans to a retirement 101 tool for sharing with plan participants, we've got you covered with tools that just make sense. And we're back. And Sandy, any things that we should be looking for specifically, things that we should be watching for as individual investors or as trustees? Good question, Justin. And I, and I think there are some things. And the temptation is always to look for a magic indicator that says we're at the pivot. Things are going to get better from here. I don't know that there's a single bullet point that, that would tell you that the worst is behind us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you have to look for sort of a panoply of things that that would help tell you the story. The the biggest one is, and this is really important as a trustee throughout the course of time, is to pay attention to the consumer. In many economies, the the consumer is 50% or 40% of their economy. Our consumer is 70 to 72% of our economy. Things to watch in the consumer are retail sales. Watch leading indicators. There's an index of leading indicators. There, There are 10 leading indicators. And the consumer is a big part of it. One of the key ones in there is consumer sentiment. And consumers have a good way of getting a a feel, reading the tea leaves and saying, we need to react to what's going on here. Inflation is going up. We need to adjust. We're not going to uh, go out to the grocery store twice a week. We're going once a week. We're going to find a way to carpool. We're going to find a way to eat more in the house. We're not going to go out for dinner. They find ways to conserve and do things. So watch consumer sales watch consumer confidence, which is very low right now. Consumer confidence is very low. The stock market tends to be a leading indicator. So right now there's a little bit of an uptick there, but the big things that I would watch is the consumer and clearly the Federal Reserve language is very important. If they start to give signals, what everybody's waiting for is for the Fed to say at some point when higher interest rates have finally helped to slow the economy. And by the way, That's a pretty painful process when they slow the economy. You'll see people getting laid off. You'll see people getting uh, more jobless claims. You'll see people buying for uh, jobless claims and and benefits. Uh, And you'll see company layoffs occur. Uh, You'll see wages start to flatten out. So there will be pain in this this process across the spectrum. So it's not going to be necessarily a a pleasant move until we get to higher ground. But those are the principal things I'd be looking for. If you get a breakthrough on the supply chain and you get supply and demand more in line for things like computer chips, if we're able to figure out how to get fuel costs down and they've come down significantly in the last few weeks, which Mm -hmm. is a big plus for the consumer. So I'd watch those prices and where they are. The big thing is to pay attention to your own investment objectives and what you're trying to accomplish with those. Any specific lessons for investors, whether it be the trustee level, the individual level, et cetera? You know, when we sit there as trustees, and I've, I've helped a lot of uh, Taft-Hartley and public sector and private corporations and endowments set investment policy uh, and investment objectives. And I recognize that when we're sitting there as trustees and talking about what to do for a pension plan or a profit sharing plan or 401k or whatever it might be, 
At the same time, we're wearing a sort of a secret hat underneath the underneath that hat. That's our own personal investments. Maybe it's whatever uh, you and your, your partner are doing with regard to investments or whatever it might be. But there's always sort of that subliminal implied uh, sort of insight that comes from what you're doing personally as well. The big thing, and that's why I wanted to go back for this three years to, to give you an example. If trustees have thoughtfully said, this is our investment objectives, this is how much return we're shooting for, or how much return over inflation, this is the uh, asset mix that we're prepared to use to raise risk or lower risk, depending on how aggressive your investment objectives are. And the more aggressive your investment objectives are, it's really important to know that your time horizon is long enough for it to work out. People frequently have aggressive investment objectives, but they forget that in order for that to be successful, you may have to endure some difficult you know, times when the markets are not agreeing with you. So my point of telling that story is that if you set investment objectives and you set investment policies, a la your asset mix, how much in stocks, how much in bonds, US stocks, other countries, how much diversification, real estate, whatever it might be that's in there, once you've done all of that and you set up the tools to monitor it, say once a quarter, you're going to go through and monitor your results and see whether or not you're tracking, is your asset mix where you expected it to be, et cetera. And the example I want to give is what happened at the end of the three years of 2021, back to the beginning of the podcast. So we had an up year in 2019 of 20%, another up year of up 20 plus percent the next year, and for 2021, a third year of up 20 plus percent. So if you compound that rate of return, 20 plus percent a year for three years, you double your money in three years. And that's what happened between 2019 and 2021. We had a doubling of equity values in the S&P. So suppose you had a $2 million pool of assets and you had a million in stocks and a million in bonds and your stated objective was to have 50% equities, 50% fixed income. At the end of that three-year period, your million dollars in equities has gone to two million. Your million dollars in bonds has gone up about five thousand dollars. So now you find yourself with pleasantly with, you know, the two million dollar equity portfolio, but it's now close to seventy percent of your assets. Right. So if you were sitting there as a trustee and you said, you know, we targeted fifty-fifty, we now have blown right through fifty-fifty. We've blown through sixty-forty. And we're up to almost 70-30. So I'm not saying you should try and get out the Ouija board and predict a down market at the end of 2021 as a result of that. Not, not in the least, because people who try and time the market and get in and get out generally get whipsawed and don't get it right on a, on a progressive basis. But I am saying that you should have adjusted, should have said, wait a minute, we're outside of our boundaries here. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah, the markets have been really good to us. But we're, you know, maybe even in, in maybe even in 2021, maybe you would have said to yourself, or 2020, you might have said to yourself, wait a minute, we've had two years of back-to-back 20% returns. We've gotten beyond our target by quite a bit. Maybe we should be pairing back. The point of that is the trustees set these disciplines up, they put these guardrails and say, we're targeting this level of equities, maybe up to a maximum of this and a minimum of this. Well, those are great guidelines that reflect your risk tolerance. So when you get too high and the risk tolerance says we need to pare it back, do so. When, it, when it's the other way around and the markets go down and take you down from 50% in equities to 35% in equities, be thinking about, well, maybe we need to step in and take some money from fixed income and move it into equities because we're getting below our risk tolerance for equities. 
So my point is that if you have a disciplined way of, of approaching things, these turbulent times, they're still bumpy, they're still bothersome, they're still worrisome, you know, but there's a, they, they can provide a really good discipline for helping you get through that turbulence. Do I think as we look forward that capitalism is dead and the markets are dead? Probably not. I don't think so. There are, there are people out there that are really, you know, savagely negative about what's going on around the globe. But I think, you know, staying with a long-term perspective and a sensible risk profile and return expectations over time is the right way to go for trustees. So what I'm hearing is um, keep in mind that long-term timetable and uh, stick with those uh, disciplined plans is what it sounds like to me. I think that's well said. It, it, sounds, it sounds simple, but it's sometimes difficult. And when you're having a good roll of the dice, you know, it feels like you should roll them one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy, that was a fantastic recap. I want to thank you for your time and for your insights as well. Thank you. And that is going to do it for this month's episode of the Talking Benefits Podcast. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next month. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all that the International Foundation has to offer at ifebp.org. Our show is hosted by Julie Stick, Ann Patterson, and me, Justin Held, produced by Stacey Van Alstein, and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2022 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. All rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel or financial advice. Watch leading indicators, index of leading indicators, 10 leading indicators, leading indicators, leading indicators, leading indicators, panoply.